0: Well, there's a couple of things I'm excited about this morning. One is that I'm feeling way better. Yeah. And I'm not on drugs. (laughs) So for me to not be on drugs and feeling better is a very good thing. I've had a good week. last few days have just been pretty good. But I will tell you, be careful out there, folks. I got out of my truck this morning in the back here, and I started walking around the corner, and I was walking right along the edge along the windows where the classrooms are. And I almost did it again. And in the same way, I would have just landed right flat on my back. You, you know, I would have been laying out there moaning and Larry, Larry, you would have had to take me to the emergency. Yeah, you would have ignored me. Larry, Larry would have said, sorry, I got to go pass out the bulletins. <laughs> no, I would have been in trouble and it, it almost happened again. Um, that's one reason I'm excited. Another reason, though, is just because I'm excited about what we're talking about today. You know, we're, we've been working on the series of the Holy Spirit for a long time. Uh, it's been months now that we've been working on this since September. And there's a sense in which I've been waiting for, for today's lesson. And I, I just am excited about what we're going to talk about. And I think, you'll, I think you'll catch on why and you'll see why this is so exciting for me. Um, I, I'm excited because what we're talking about is absolutely crucial. It is foundational. Every person who is thinking at all about God and thinking about Christ needs to get what we're talking about today this is important stuff it's like um it's like oxygen you know if you don't if you don't get oxygen you're in trouble and this today this is like oxygen you got to get this otherwise you're going to be what i would say spiritually asphyxiated and we don't want to be and and god wants us to to not miss out on what we are talking about today if um, If you're a child growing up in an underdeveloped country, there are certain nutrients that you've just got to have in order for your body, your mind, everything to work the way that it's supposed to. And today is one of those subjects where we just have to have all the healthfulness that this particular topic brings. Um, We have often, as a group of people... Focused on certain things within churches of Christ. And today, I'm going to say, we've focused one place here, especially on this particular passage. And we need to be focused here. And you know, our forefathers in in the early restoration movement, they wanted to restore New Testament Christianity. They said, we need to keep reading the Bible and find out the things that God wants us to do. And go back and do those things that are closest to what God would want us to be. And today... It's kind of a restoration morning. There's there's something here that we need to see, I think, and I hope that, uh, I hope this means as much to you as it does to me. And if we don't see this, I'm afraid that our efforts at being what God wants us to be are going to end up kind of insufficient and weak compared to what they can be. And it all has to do with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. If you're looking at a pew Bible, it's in... It's on page 751 in the Pew Bibles. And I'm going to read from John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Now, this is the story of Nicodemus. And here's kind of off the front here, right at the top, here is the point. When we turn to John chapter 3 within churches of Christ, and we're going to talk about the story of Nicodemus, there is typically one reason that just stands above all others for the reason why we turn to John chapter 3. And that's because we want to read verse 3. And right now everybody's going to look down and see, well, what does that say? Okay, we want to read verse 3 and we want to read verse 5. And the reason we want to read verse 3 and verse 5 is because those verses are proof texts. I think that's certainly the way we've used them. We have used them as proof texts for why a person needs to be immersed in water as part of their conversion to Christianity. Right or wrong, is that not the way that we typically use those verses? You read verse 3 and verse 5, and we want to talk about baptism in water and the necessity of being baptized in Jesus Christ. True? True. Are we all on the same page? Like, I think that's where we've been. And what I, want to, what I want to say this morning is that there's a sense in which I absolutely believe that. But there is a sense, too, in which I think we have missed the point. And so let me read these verses, and then I'll kind of get into why I think that's the case. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, We know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. And if we just stop there and I ask you the question, does this sound like a sincere seeker of God, or does this sound like somebody who's after Jesus? What do you think? I think so too. I think he's a sincere seeker after God. He's a Pharisee, he's part of the Sanhedrin, but he comes to Jesus at night. This is not an attack. And he says, teacher, you seem to be like you're from God. You're doing some things that we just can't. And notice he uses the word we, like he's having some conversation with others, some other folks as well. And he's saying, we just think that you've got to be from God and we want to know more about this. Who are you? What's going on? Nobody could do these things unless God were with him. Who are you? Now, a lot of times at this point, a, a, a commentator or a preacher, somebody will say, Jesus then totally ignores Nicodemus's comment, and he starts talking instead about baptism. Okay? And so Jesus says, and it does kind of sound this way, although I, I actually think he's not ignoring him at all. He says, in reply, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And then again, oftentimes we say, Nicodemus completely misses the point. And I think he does kind of miss the point. How can a man be born when he's old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And then at this point we say, and Jesus ignores him again. And just goes on with his own agenda. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And it looks like Jesus has just not answered Nicodemus' statements. Well, I'm going I'm to make some comments about that in a moment. But let me just say right now that there are oh, about six or so different responses that people make in terms of the question of what water and spirit birth is in this passage. And, and we traditionally, and by the way, I think absolutely right, have said that we think that the water, in verse 5, is referring to Christian baptism. It must be born in the water and spirit. Well, personally, I think that's right. But let me tell you some other responses. The first one is that a lot of times people will say, this verse is not talking about baptism, it's actually talking about physical birth. And therefore, Jesus is talking about two kinds of contrasting births. He's talking about a birth by water, and he's talking about a birth by spirit. And when they talk about that, they do it this way. They say, and and this makes total sense, they talk about the amniotic fluid that is inside a, a mother's womb when a baby is born. And so if I even say to this group right now, if I said to you, if I just use these words, if I say, my water broke. Okay, when I say my water broke, first of all, you think, what's he talking about? (laughs) No, but you think, yeah, that's referring to some woman who is having a baby and her water breaks and all of a sudden her contractions get intense and she's on the verge here of giving birth. And we recognize that there is a great deal of water involved in that process and so this amniotic fluid or this water that comes out of a woman when she's born, that's what people would say that Jesus is referring to. The the natural water. And in contrast to that, there is a spiritual birth that we're supposed to have. So we're born of water, this natural birth, and then we're also born of spirit. That's one of the answers that people give. Now, the fact is, I have some trouble with that answer. I don't think that's the best answer. There's some things about it that don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, I will say that in verse 6, look at verse 6. You'll see in verse 6 that Jesus specifically says flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. And so there is some kind of contrast down in verse 6. But I don't think that that's what Jesus is trying to do when he talks about it in verse 5. And the reason for that is because first of all, and there's some reasons for this, first of all, there seems to be absolutely no evidence in the ancient world at all for people having used watery birth and water to symbolize that kind of birth. So when people talk about, when people use the word born of water, that's not an expression known in the ancient world to refer to physical birth. They just didn't use that expression. And so if Jesus is going to say something like born of water, you'd think that he would use that expression because people would know that that's what he's referring to. But instead, he seems to not be talking about that with reference to water at all, or something that the ancient world has used, and they would know all about that. That's just not something they know. Well, another reason is simply because water itself, in this text, has a precedent within Christianity and within our system of thinking of things that identifies it far more clearly than anything having to do with natural birth. And what I mean is this. If you were to look at verse 22 in this chapter, what do you see? John chapter 3, verse 22. What is being discussed? Somebody tell me. Baptism. Yeah. In fact, there are several statements there in verse 22 and following. We can read this. It says, After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Geon countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John was baptized in Anon near near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison an argument developed between some of John's disciples and certain Jews over the matter of ceremonial washing. The whole context here is talking about baptism and washing, and Jesus himself is actually involved in the process of baptizing these people out there with John and his disciples. Do you know how many times in the New Testament it talks about Jesus baptizing uh, with his disciples those who were making some kind of religious commitment? Do you know how many times the New Testament talks about that? I can think of one right there. That's the only time that I can think of where Jesus himself is baptizing. Now, John baptizes... Now, in this case, too, by the way, it does say Jesus himself doesn't baptize, but it's his disciples who are doing the baptizing. But this is the only place I can think of where there is Jesus himself involved in the actual act of doing some baptizing. Now, it's different than Jesus himself being baptized. But here he's involved with the act. Well, I think it's interesting that that happens 17 verses after Jesus has just been talking about being born of water and spirit. And I think John is being incredibly intentional here. John writes about baptism, puts this story about Jesus doing what he's doing because it connects directly to what Jesus has just been talking about with Nicodemus. There are some other connections. If you were to look at some other verses right in that section, you'll find that there are other topics that are discussed that revert right back to the first half of John chapter 3. And my point is, is that clearly John is writing these things about Jesus doing this baptizing and John doing this baptizing because that's what he thought Jesus meant in John chapter 3 verse 5. So my point is, is that I think that John chapter 3 is all about, in one sense, baptism. The water part there is about baptism. But there's a problem. And the problem lies with the emphasis that we have placed on water baptism in these verses. Because when somebody asks us, what is John 3 about, we want to start talking about water baptism. And if I ask the question, is that what is on Jesus' mind? It seems to me like the answer is no. That that is not what is chiefly on the mind of Christ as he has the conversation with Nicodemus. Instead, if we look at other parts of these passages, part of this verse, I think Jesus is making direct reference to the Holy Spirit. And that being the core teaching of what he wants to get to when it comes to Nicodemus and his life. Now let me show you another passage that I think is fascinating. Look at back, just a couple of chapters. Flip back to John chapter 1 and look at verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. And here the context is, in fact, John the baptizer baptizing, and Jesus himself goes out to to be baptized by John. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and look, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven, As a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Do you know what is missing from that passage? There is something crucial that is not found in John chapter 1 and the description of Jesus' baptism. And it is found, by the way, this thing that's missing, is found in all three of the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all mention a crucial element at the baptism of Jesus that John totally ignores. Do you know what that is? The baptism of Jesus! john chapter one and see where it says anything there about jesus himself being baptized it's not there the story of the baptism of jesus in john chapter one doesn't include the story of the baptism of jesus and i think somebody has to ask the question why why is that the case Clearly, Jesus was baptized. We know that from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then the Spirit comes down on him after his baptism, and that's the part that John includes. Why? Well, I think it's telling. It's because as John tells the story of the baptism of Jesus, unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John wants to focus elsewhere. He wants not to talk about Jesus going down into the water. And it's not because he doesn't think that's significance. It's just that he's got something else on his mind. And so when he gets to John chapter 3, and he starts talking about rebirth, it is not the baptism of Jesus, or for that matter, the baptism of Christians, that is chiefly on the mind of John. And I'm not saying it's not at all on his mind. I'm just saying that John has an emphasis here. He's got something else that he's focused on. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. Just flip back to chapter 3, verse 3. Do you see what it says there? What does it say? I tell you the truth, you must be born again. Does it say anything there about water or baptism or sin or remission of sin or forgiveness? Then look at John chapter three, 3, verse 5. I tell you the truth, you must be born, or you shall be born, I, depends on the translation here, you should be born of the water and spirit. Does it say anything about forgiveness, sin, remission of sin? Anything to do with sin at all? No. Does it use the word baptize? Like, is the word baptism before verse 22 used anywhere in that passage? Nope. And all I'm saying is that the reason that he doesn't talk about remission of sin, the reason he doesn't talk about forgiveness, the reason he doesn't even use the word baptism is because that's not his emphasis. What does he talk about? Well, in verse 3, he says, you must be born again. And it's interesting. The word for again there is the same Greek word that is used for the word above. Look at verse 31 in the same chapter. Do you find the expression about being something from above? There's one who comes from above. Clearly... There's a, well, not clearly, there's at least some possibility that the real point of John 3, 3 is that we're supposed to be born from above. Those of you who have an NIV Bible in your hands right now, and that's all of you with a pew Bible, by the way, you'll notice that there is a footnote at the end of John 3, verse 3, and it says in that footnote, or it could be from above. Do you see that? And so my point is, is that when he's talking in chapter 3, verse 3, what's he talking about? What he's really talking about is the rebirth that the Spirit provides to the person who is wanting to live in God. Now, we get down to verse 5. This expression, born of water and Spirit, is a fascinating expression. One of the reasons that I don't think that the water here is... The water of physical birth is because there aren't two births here talked about. There's only one. Like when when Jesus says you must be born of water and spirit, he doesn't say you must be born of water and you must be born of spirit. It's not two births that he talks about. In Greek, this expression, born of water and spirit, is tied very close together. What he says is, you must be born of water and spirit. Or you could even, in English, if we were writing this, we could put a slash in there, and we could say, you must receive a water-spirit baptism. It's only one birth It's only one rebornness here that happens. There are not two births. So there isn't even a comparison to make. You can't say, well, he's making a comparison between a watery birth and a spirit birth because the way Jesus puts it, he's talking about only one birth. Well, if that's the case, I do think that water actually is represented by baptism. I think verse 22 and following makes that clear. But what is the focus that Jesus is trying to, to get to? Well, that's all expounded in verses 6, 7, and 8. And in verses 6, 7, and 8, what's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. He's talking about the spiritual rebirth that all of us in Jesus are supposed to have. Now, he doesn't for a moment say that the baptism and the water birth part isn't part of that. But he clearly When you combine verse 3 and verse 5, and then 6, 7, and 8. And then when you combine the fact that the baptism of Jesus isn't even recorded in John chapter 1, at the baptism of Jesus. Clearly, John is trying to make the point that the rebirth of the human life at the hands of the Holy Spirit is the focus and emphasis here. And I would say that's where we have to land Now, what we've done, as I said, is so often we turn to John chapter 3 because we think that's the the section that's going to tell us we have to be baptized in water. And I would say, well, maybe maybe that's its point somehow, but that's not the the heart of John chapter 3. And the moment that you put the emphasis where it shouldn't be in John chapter 3 and put it where it should be, then life in the Spirit becomes the dominant, powerful force for each of us that it needs to be. And that's what God wants more than anything. So I don't think when Jesus begins to talk to Nicodemus, that he ignores him. I don't think he ignores him at all. Jesus hears Nicodemus say, you're a teacher, from God, apparently, because you're doing things and we, we want to know what's going on. And I think Jesus grabs him by the shoulders and looks him deep in the eye and says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel. You're part of the Sanhedrin. You are a Pharisee. And you need to be born again. And then Nicodemus doesn't get it and says, what? I can't go back into my mother's womb and be born again. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus said, you've got to be born of water and spirit. There's a new birth that has to take place in your life. You have to be renewed. Don't you understand that, that this is a spiritual thing? Flesh gives birth to flesh, yes, but I've brought spirit. And spirit is to give birth to spirit in your life, Nicodemus. And you won't always understand where it comes from or where it's going. But this is the authentic thing that you need more than any other thing. And Jesus' emphasis with Nicodemus is the changed life, the transformation, the renewal, the rebirth that needs to be there in his life because of the Holy Spirit. And the watery birth of baptism helps bring that about. But it's like I I thought about doing this. I thought I should go outside and stand on the other side of those doors. Turn all the lights off in here with all you guys in here. Turn all the lights off and I stand at the doors and then I throw open the doors and I walk in. But we're all still standing in the darkness. And I say to Ed, turn on the lights now. And then I was going to say, baptism is like me opening the doors. It's the entrance that gets me in. But then you got to turn the light on. And it's the Spirit who is that light-giving force that transforms us. Verses 20 and 21 in this chapter say essentially that. And that's what we need. That's what we must have more than anything else. So what do I want to see us do? Well, first of all, if you're not a Christian, if you haven't given yourself to Jesus Christ, God wants you He wants you. He wants you to be transformed. He wants you to be changed. He wants you to become his child. And and the first thing you need to do is you need to believe in this one that Nicodemus went to. Nicodemus said, who are you? And Jesus told him. And you need to understand who Jesus is. You need to believe in him. You need to have a heart that's ready to respond. You also need to be baptized in water. This is part of the equation here. The baptism is the initiation for your life into this life of the Spirit that God is offering you. But then thirdly, and this is more something God does than what we do, you need to receive this blessing and gift of the Spirit into your life just exactly the way that Jesus talks about. This is the renewing factor. Following your confession and repentance and baptism, the Spirit comes in to completely take you over and transform you, and change you, and make you the person that God wants you to be. And so, yes, I want everybody in here to be a baptized person in Jesus Christ. But I certainly don't want you to just get wet. I want the Holy Spirit to come and transform you. And so there has to be, on all of our parts, an open heart of acceptance... An offering of the self, just as we talked about in class, by the way, to Jesus Christ. And that offering of the self, including the watery grave of baptism, allows the Spirit's presence into our lives. And the spiritual cleansing that needs to take place for every one of us happens at that point. So I hope, I hope that's where you're at. I hope that's, that's what you've done. If at your baptism, you received the forgiveness of sins, but you never thought about or nobody ever talked to you about the reception of the Holy Spirit at the same time, well, you've heard it today. The Holy Spirit's implementation, entrance into our lives is absolutely crucial and I would say is the crucial thing. Do you remember John the Baptist himself says, I came to baptize you with water. For the forgiveness of sins, there's confession and repentance that takes place even in John's preaching. And Jesus did some of that even in John chapter 3, verse 22 and following. But what does the text say is going to come with Jesus? What is it that Jesus brings in contrast, in, a, in addition to what John does? He Brings the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, this is the marker. This is the thing that sets me apart from my predecessors. The bringing of the Spirit into the lives of Christians. And God wants that for every one of us. We've been talking a lot about the Spirit this year. And I think it is great stuff. It is so crucial, so important for us to get this aspect of our conversions understood into our minds, into our lives. And if we stop, if we just read John 3, 3 or John 3, 5 and we think, well, that teaches us to be baptized... Well, that's part of it for sure. But that's not the heart of it. The heart of these verses is the transformation that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into your life and into mine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of studying together your word. God, we pray that you would work on our hearts, in our lives, transform us and change us. And do so through the presence of your spirit. Help us to recognize constantly how important this is. And Father, for those people who are here today who have not given themselves completely to you yet, for those people who have not yet been baptized in water as part of this act of conversion, for those who have therefore not received the Spirit in the way that the full sense of the Spirit wants to come and take our lives over, God, I would pray that you'd move them to make that decision for you, to give themselves completely to you, that they can receive all that you intended from the beginning for humanity. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.